Hey guys, this is The Real Shit with Brit and Wit. This is Whitney. And this is Brittany. And this is a podcast that's here to make you feel normal in your everyday life. You guys, I am so excited today. We have on the show Jill from Lessons from a Minivan. And we love her, first of all, on Instagram. And we her story is incredible. And I'm really excited to be able to highlight her and just get kind of the real shit behind the amazing, relatable Instagram. Just <laughs> oh <my laughs> to everybody. You guys are going to love her story. It's so good. Hello, everybody. Thank you guys for having me on here. I love both of you, both of your stories and um, the real shit with Wit and Brit. Love it. Um, so my name is Jill. I am go by the handle of Lessons from the Minivan. I am primarily on Instagram under Lessons from the Minivan. I also have a Facebook account that I don't keep up with as much as I should. Um, I have three children. They are ages 23, 21, and 15. So a lot of what I write is actually from nostalgia. And then I have the teen thing, which continues way into the 20s. Help us all. (laughs) God help us all. (laughs) Okay, Jill, take a quick second and tell everyone about your book. She has a book, you guys. This is incredible. Oh, thank you. It's, It's called A What Mess, and it is a book really for, like, preschoolers and kindergartners and pre-readers and it's about a little girl who has a terribly messy room and her mommy tells her to clean it up and she cannot figure out what the problem is and she goes through every group of things in her room like it can't be the teddy bears they're taking a nap it can't be you guys can see the illustration it can't be my you know 20 glue sticks and paint markers i'm in the middle of a project and mommy knows that and so So it's a special mantra about how mommy must know that after every uh stanza and so it's written for pre-readers to be able to know that it's going to say, mommy must know that. Mommy must know that. So they're kind of reading before they're reading. The coolest thing about it is it's a tribute to my own daughters. So um, rather than I turned down some contracts, not that they were very lucrative, but I turned down contracts in order to have my own illustrator do a cartoon character of my two girls of what they would look like. Oh, and I have to send oh, you pictures. Cool. But the fun thing is like all this junk that she's sitting on top of and stuff, all the pictures within the book are my daughter's actual messy room. So <laughs> we can pick out like her, her favorite things. And um, I wrote it a long time ago and it's like life happens. I got a divorce. I fell into a mess and promoted it and then stopped. And now like it's sort of regaining a new life, which is cool because it's nice to look back while I have teenagers and think, Oh, this was once my biggest problem. Uh, (laughs) You know what? We're going to share that too. We're going to share that where you can find it um, at the end of the podcast and then on our Instagram as well. We're going to share where you can find this book. That's so cute. See, that's our stage of life right now. Clean up your damn messes that nobody wants to clean up. And you know what? I I really didn't mean to like... um, to denigrate that at all, because wherever you are, it's hard. It's hard. It's exhausting. It's they're either on top of you or not wanting to talk to you. You know, depending on the phase of life, it's like I got so used to just everybody glomming to me that when they all pushed off at once, it felt like I I feel rejected. I'm not even kidding. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's like a whole nother episode we need to have you back on and talk about yeah, too. Just I'll stay on topic. <laughs> 
because it is every stage is like its own difficult thing. And I'm like, I'm over here ranging from 13 to two years old. And I literally oh. have like all the stages coming at me. So we you have, <laughs> God that. bless you. You've got everything coming at you at once. All right, Jill. So let's jump into kind of the story behind a good chunk of your life that I think is going to really relate to a lot of our audience. One of the first things I want to really go over um, that you shared with us is, is that struggle with anxiety throughout your life? Because I think so many of us deal with anxiety every single day. And it's almost like the new norm, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anxiety, depression, who mm-hmm. doesn't deal with it? Agreed. Right? So kind of take us back to a young age, right? Well, I actually want to start here. Your Instagram handle is so incredible and you're so relatable lessons from the minivan. These memes that you do, Thank the you. quotes put on there, literally everything that comes out of your mouth or something that you share, I'm like, yes, yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But something that I like about, right, that these pages is that a lot of the times it's all kind of shits and giggles and laughs and yeah, oh, that's my life. But like people don't always see what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-mm. And so um, I first want to say thank you for sharing some of the hard stuff behind the scenes. Okay. So thank you so much for saying that. Uh, Part of the reason that I started this was that so many people wouldn't feel as alone as I did for so long. So I'm throwing my age out there. I'm going to be 52 next week. And no, she does not. No, there's no way. So 52 years young. So fine. Thank you. I only threw it out there because there's some wisdom that does come with this. Part of the wisdom is like, I'm still freaking anxious. And, you know, <laughs> I thought it would just be gone. You know, I, I just, I envision like when I envision my life, it wasn't like going to be 52 and still anxious. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the new norm or if like we've all been that way for so long that like now it's just okay to come out with it. But when I was growing up in the eighties and that's why I gave my age because I was growing up in seventies, I guess, and eighties, but there was no way my parents would ever take me to a psychologist or psychiatrist lest they be the crazy family. Like, no way in mm-hmm. hell. Like, they would have sooner locked me in a closet than, like, <laughs> I, I mean, and I, I'm not even joking. I mean, there was no way. So I had these very severe uh, coping mechanisms, which were gagging until I, like, threw up bile literally every morning of my life for as long as I can remember. Until my 20s. Let me ask you real quick, Joe. Now, is that like, um, I don't want to interrupt, but is that kind of like more like, would you consider that eating disorder? No, it was just like a. No, nothing to do with food. Okay. So, well, I mean, I've never been a big breakfast eater, but no, not like you're right. It could be confused with that. And I was always a very skinny child and um, it could be confused that way. But no, it was like I'd wake up. And then I'd feel some sort of impending doom every day, every school day. It didn't really happen on, um, uh, maybe not on a Saturday. It didn't happen on vacation, but it did happen every school day from like, it's like my earliest memory. And I would feel so nauseated because, you know, when your stomach's like churning from anxiety Mm -hmm. that I would like go into the bathroom and just be gagging, gagging, gagging until like I vomited up bile because there was nothing to throw up. And then, and my parents knew I did this. And my mom used to be like, remember, remember when Jill used to like just gag every morning? I'm like, mom, 
Didn't you think there was a problem? <laughs> Remember, when? Remember when you had that problem and no one dealt with? <laughs> ever. Like no one ever dealt with oh. it. So it wasn't just moms. I know. I know. And it's like when my kids complain about me and then I try and say, you don't even know them. They're like, don't even. <laughs> Times were abusive back then. I'm like, oh God. So, um, but it wasn't just mornings. It became other things too. It became like like a coping mechanism if I was going to take a test, but I'd have to do it really quietly because it's embarrassing. So I'd be like, <laughs> you know, or if I not just taking the test, getting the grade back, which is totally ridiculous. I already took the test, right? You failed or you didn't. But it, it, that's sort of anxiety becomes like almost like an OCD, I think, where it's like a, some sort of mantra. Like if I didn't yes. worry, something bad was going to happen to me. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you if you had other, I was going to ask you about the OCD thing to see if you had other tendencies that were OCD or if this was just strictly an anxiety driven. Strictly anxiety driven. I didn't have any other anything. And I'm very high functioning anxiety too. So it's like once I got out of the house and hit the ground, like it would go away. But Mm -hmm. the test, I was type A, so tests mattered to me a lot. Although I suppose like making a sports team would have mattered if I was, I was a little athletic. I was a little bit, but I can't remember gagging over it. But other things like then it would be dates and stuff. And it all like really came to fruition, not in college, but in law school afterwards when um, like I couldn't, I couldn't really like hide it anymore. And I just had to, I mean, law school is like so stressful all the time. <laughs> it's a gagging moment nonstop. Oh, um, um, hello. We forgot to mention on top of all the other incredible things, Jill is also an attorney. No big deal, but just saying. No big deal. I don't even practice anymore. I gave it up for my kids. Well, I didn't give it up for my kids, but I fell off the track a while ago. But yes, I did. <laughs> I, did. I do have a degree in uh, trying to use it in other ways. So was, the, was the gagging pretty much like the main coping mechanism? Did it ever go into anything else? Or was that really just your, it almost became like an addicting behavior of like having to do that every time you felt anxious? Exactly. That one. And having to do it sometimes when I didn't feel anxious, but feeling like I should feel anxious. Is anybody familiar with that feeling? Uh, you're if you, like, if you're not anxious, you're like, something's wrong. I need yes. to be anxious about something. I should be anxious. Like I realize this is a spelling quiz I could have passed in the second grade, but it's a test anyway. So anxiety. So it was like the alarms were always going. I'm like uh, just so high adrenaline all the time. You know what? I actually relate to you personally when you said you're high functioning because I've, I mean, we actually did an episode where I openly speak about some of my anxieties and PTSDs and things. And, um, and that's exactly like, I, I've never had anyone pinpoint it. Like you just did. I'm high functioning. Like I'm a high functioning, anxious ball because it's like, I'm still going in my life and everyone on the outside is just like, look, that go-getter Brit, you know, mm-hmm. the inside people, it's like, if they only knew the turmoil inside my body and the things I was worrying about. Well, and especially, actually, especially um, you Brit, because I was listening to one of your episodes where uh, you and Whit were talking about how you're different and Brit you're saying, I talk to everybody, you know, in the, in the grocery store, in the doctor's office, I know their life stories. That's me. My mantra is I never met a stranger. I didn't know. People tell me, (laughs) people tell me everything. And, and my son, my oldest is a 
an introvert and is like, mom, do you have to like all the time? I, I can't not, but then yeah. I'm such a mess and nobody knows, like hardly anybody knows. And even now I'm a mess, like reaching out for help. And so the reason that I'm putting this out here is because I don't want other women or men, but I, I, I say, I don't know a mom that isn't anxious. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people hide it, even if they act like they don't ever feel anxious or something, because I don't know any moms that aren't feeling that just constant, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're responsible for other people's lives and that changes everything. So if I wasn't already anxious, um, being a mom, just push that right over the edge, but I'll try and stay in chronological order. (laughs) I know we're all over the place. So, okay. Young age, dealing with this kind of living through the everyday, this became your norm. Yes. I didn't even know that there was something wrong with it. Like I said, my mom is looking back on memories and thinking it's funny somehow. So I didn't know there was anything wrong. When you said that you were doing this like in grade school and then all of a sudden you were talking about doing this in college. I mean, that is a long time to live with this anxiety and not realize that it's an issue. But of course, if no one was talking about it, you wouldn't realize or you no. just chalk it up to everyday life for yourself. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest here. My own mom suffered with um, severe postpartum depression after. So my sister and I are 19 months apart and there was no way she was able to go see a therapist or a psychiatrist. It was this whole, what will, they don't even so much care about what the neighbors think, but they do care, you know, like yes. we're not that crazy family. It wasn't even the neighbors knowing it's just, we can't be that crazy family in the 1970s. Yeah. So, and then again with their child, my mom um, was always like, Oh, Jill's our strong one. She's our, you know, our tough one or type a, she can get through anything. She'll be fine. I don't have to worry about her. So and nobody even knows. I mean, no, I'm not the squeaky wheel. Mm. Okay. So going now, did this affect, I mean, were you still like a social kid and going into high school and going into college and like, cause some people have anxieties that it almost cripples them. They can't do anything. Yep. So I don't have um, social anxiety. I have generalized anxiety disorder. And so I'm scared of failing myself. I don't really care like about making a fool of myself or anything. If anything, I'm extroverted and I need to be around other people for energy. So I had a lot of friends and then in college was in a sorority and like, go, go, go. And all the like, all the activities. Now I have to ask this because I mean, I've dealt with anxiety most of my life too, but I've never really had like a coping mechanism. I think just getting older, I've learned how to kind of self-talk and the more I self-love, I kind of let things go that are my anxieties, but coping mechanism, did anyone ever, whether it be roommates or a boyfriend or anybody in a family know about the gagging and kind of come to you and say, Hey, like I've noticed this. Are you okay? Or was it a thing where you were just able to hide that? So I was, well, yeah. so my mom, my, my siblings, they all knew, um, but okay. outside the family, no, nobody knew. Um, I guess, you know, talking about it now, it's like not any different than an eating disorder or anything that you would be trying to hide from, I guess, substance abuse, you know, any kind of coping mechanism. Um, because I felt better after I 
would throw up. But so I was never throwing up food. Like if I ate, that would not happen. But it was it was empty stomach stuff. And I was really harming. It's, it's like self-harm, I think. Yeah. Um, and then I would feel better because there was nothing left to come up. Um, yeah, so in my 20s, my now ex-husband, when I were dating, and he like came into the ba- bathroom one morning. Um, he mu- we weren't even living together. He must have been staying over. And he must have heard it a few times before because this time he threw his arms around me and was like, hey, 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 it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And for the first time ever, I was just, I was torn between being mortified that my boyfriends would find me like this. I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, oh, it's going to be okay. And I remember trying to like, nudge him off saying no no I have to do this and then it's going to be okay and he's like no you don't have to you don't have to do that and I just I I didn't even understand that I didn't have to do that I mean I knew other people didn't but I I didn't understand that I I didn't have to it was almost like a ritual at that point I mean that's a long (laughs) I mean years and years and years of that being pretty much a morning ritual my morning right can't start the day without vomiting nothing well, you know what? You're you're so courageous for even like putting that out and sharing it. And I think like more people than you think probably have little ticks or quirks or things or addictive behaviors that they do to deal with something that they don't talk about it. And that's why we totally. do this podcast to kind of help those out there feel like, holy shit, I'm not, you know, alone. And so I think you're just so courageous for admitting that this is something that you struggled with. And really, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I, I feel like the only thing I can relate to in that sense is like the things I would have anxiety with, um, that we talked about in one of our previous episodes with, you remember, uh, long story short, PTSD type of stuff with, um, so I kind of struggled with comparing myself to a certain person for a while. Mm -hmm. And And almost like you're saying, it's like you had to do something to, to make it be okay or to feel better. Whenever I would get into those mindsets or those head spaces where I would compare and be really difficult on myself and feel anxious about everything. Like I'd have to almost go like, look up this person on social media and almost, it would almost be like, okay, if I just do this and check, right. Like, does this person still look like this or does this, you know, then I'll be okay. Then I can go forward. And it became like weird, addictive, comparison behavior so it's like you're talking and I'm like oh my gosh that just resonates that's exactly what it's like you know what and it's like also for people that can't relate to either of those two things it's the if I make the basket of into the you know waste paper basket with this ball of paper he'll ask me out okay I didn't make it let me try it again yes yeah or Or if I picture the worst thing happening it won't happen right I just picture all this stuff happening it won't happen yeah Right. So then we have to get into gory thoughts. No, I I totally hear you. No, I totally hear you. But but because I didn't have help with it at a young age, led me down a very difficult path. Like later in life Uh, and call in your college and adult years or? Well, so into my adult years because so because I married the person that made me feel so good and everything's going to be okay. And then I relied on him more and more to sort of save me from myself, although I didn't realize that's what was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I didn't understand narcissism at the time, but I have been through the full-fledged gaslighting, triangulation, smear campaign, the whole nine yards, because when they're done idolizing you, they're done. And um, I'm sure a lot of your readers or listeners can relate to that. Yeah. I mean, we've had women write in for sure that kind of feel... A, stuck in their relationships that they know is not healthy and that they're dealing with some of this like gaslighting and things like that, but that don't know how to get out of it. And we've also had women write in that have had relationships like that, that have gotten out and are like, almost like, I want to be able to help people with, with this, you know, subject. And so let's, let's talk through that. So in college, did you meet in law school? So we met in law school. Um, and I dated the same guy in high school into college, and then we broke up right. We went to college on opposite ends of the country, stayed together. Anyway, he never noticed my gagging, so uh, he might have been a little too self-absorbed. But um, <laughs> <laughs> seven years, and he never noticed. <laughs> um, and then right after college, I went to law school, which is where I met my ex-husband. Okay. So he, okay. In the beginning, something that stood out to me, um, you had said he really built you up, right? And you relied on that. And I think that is something that will stick out so big for a lot of women out there. We really do rely on others, our, our partner, our boyfriends or husbands, whoever to build us up because we don't know how to, a lot of us, right? Especially if we've dealt with traumas or things, don't know how to have, don't know how to have self love for ourselves. So what you're saying, you relied on him to be your, you know, everything. I mean, instead of, I thought we were partners. So there was some phases where it was interesting because I'm from Long Island and he's from New England, a, a small place where we now live. But he, um, seems so much more like me than would be natural. And then where we had differences, he always sort of deferred to me. So I felt like a princess in a lot of ways. Um, Also, around the time that I met him, or right before I met him, I had um, been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is like... um, which is like Crohn's disease. It's the sister disease to Crohn's disease. It's um, an autoimmune disease. So I was living in huge denial. I've got the anxiety denial. I've got the um, ulcerative colitis denial. There weren't good medicines out there. I literally was doubled over in pain in my law school classes and then walking across the street to the med school with my law books in hand, in the triage, cramping and moaning and sweating And just refusing to let go of those law books, like refusing. (laughs) I I look back now; it's so ridiculous. I mean, I'm glad I don't practice law, but this is the type A kind of personality that I was, and nothing was going to get in my way, and I didn't have time to be sick, and I was just going to get better through my magical anxiety gagging. I guess I don't know how I was going to get better. It's like we laugh, but it's like all of us are no, like, we get it. We feel it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So on top of that, dealing with chronic illness, but this is where you now met your now ex-husband and right. um, maybe just briefly, yeah, touch on in the beginning. So he just built you up. 
filled you up? Was he there kind of through the illness and supportive and all of that in the beginning? So supportive in the beginning. So I got ill before I started dating him. And he was really, really supportive and caretaking, making sure I had stuff to eat. We didn't live together at the time, but he would just, this is before we had cell phones, he would just pop over if I hadn't been in class, just super caring. My family loved him. Um, my friends liked him. Red flag, he didn't have any friends of his own. Uh, he was a year older than me in school. Uh, two years older, and just didn't have any friends of his own, which should have been a major red flag. Should have been a red flag, but I feel like sometimes when you're in that space where you need that person to be fulfilling you and they make you feel so good, you are blind to any red flags, right? So blind. So blind. I even tell my kids, I even tell my kids now, if somebody had given me a crystal ball and showed me that this is the way it would turn out, I would never believed you then. I would have smashed that crystal ball. Yeah. Because that's how, that's how... It felt like he was my soulmate. Yeah, he made him. (laughs) Oh, I've been married three times. I've been there. I know. (laughs) We get it. I was juggling my crystal balls. (laughs) (laughs) Love you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so like, uh, right? It's always so good in the beginning, but like, let okay. So let's get into it. You're married. Okay. You get married. You end up getting married, obviously. Right. Um, what happens? What happens in there? Because you honestly were married to a narcissistic person. And I think a lot of us have either been there, deal with it now or going through whatever. And, and it's not easy. It's not easy. It is not easy. So a couple things, um, I don't even know that I ever would have known he was narcissistic if we didn't end up having so many kids so quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we moved, um, we lived in the DC area, which was great. Um, we decided that after we got married, we were going to wait a while to have kids and we're going to quit our jobs and start our own law firm, which is exactly what we did. But, you know, I wasn't even a year into it and I got pregnant with my first child. And even then we were naive. We were like, Oh, it's our firm. We'll just bring the kid to work with us. Yeah, sure. It is your firm. (laughs) You do that. (laughs) But, uh, no one is going to want to hire you with, especially a lawyer where like everyone has their own problems. They don't want to hear yours. So, (laughs) So, um, you know, I quickly learned that we were, alternating days. My ex-husband was moonlighting. We lived in a very expensive area. Um, it wasn't just us anymore, but um, I got through that first year and I remember thinking, okay, I am one and done. I'm a one and done mom. Um, and he was like, no, you're not. I'm one of four. He's one of two and they're super spread out. And he was like, no, we'll have siblings. And I'm like, yeah, not for a while at least. 13 months old, I got pregnant on the pill with number two. (laughs) (laughs) And she knows it's not a secret. I mean, my only planned child was my third one. But so she, um, that was, that was really it. I mean, it wasn't just the two kids, 22 months apart. It was the toll it took on an ulcerative colitis body. I mean, that was really, really, I mean, the second I told my 
OBGYN that I'm pregnant. How could this happen? He slaps himself on the forehead and says, oh, you don't have good absorption because you have a digestive disease. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I mean, there's that, but we, you know, we didn't. I mean, it. oops. <laughs> That's cute. But, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I did, I did cry. Um, so that's like another thing, no shame in like crying over it. Uh, but I, of course, had a lot of friends that weren't able to have babies and you don't always get to pick, you get what you get. And <clears throat> I'm blessed to have both of them. Um, but that was just, my body had taken such a toll. So we had a, a fairly good life together until we really started arguing about money and time. And I was so tired all the time. I gave birth to my second child and walked out of the hospital weighing less than I did before I got pregnant. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> that's ulcerative colitis for you. Everything goes right through your body. And so I, um, my body could either support the baby or me. And I'm glad it supported the baby but I didn't realize how sick I was and then a second C-section and no family nearby. So we um, ended up moving. It was either toward his family or my family. With my family, I'm an open book of dysfunctional mess. I talk about it. We are Long Island, yell at each other, big family, no, whatever. East Coast. I love it. I love it. <laughs> East Coast, New York. He's yeah. East Coast too. But uh, sweep it under the rug, stoic. Yeah. So I, I used to be like, why is, your, what's, why is your family so perfect? Why do they never fight? Okay, that was a whole other mess, a whole other <laughs> yeah, whatever week's perfect. worth of stuff. Didn't have time for that. But, but um, when we moved to his hometown, he fell into childhood roles that I didn't know he played. Oh. And I was expected to just... Um, be like the wifey that followed orders maybe by the like bigger dynamic family. And I was not used to anybody telling me what to do. And so we really started within two weeks of moving um, here, we started really not getting along and I watched him change instantaneously. It felt like in front of me. <clears throat> Oh my gosh, um, that must have been so hard. You have two horrible. little kids and then you don't, your husband practically changes overnight and you don't even know who he is really anymore. Right. And you're sick. And I'm sick and I feel so shitty from the move. It's still winter. It's April here, but it's still winter because it's always winter. It's, like, <laughs> it's a lot of winter. I'm miserable. like, I'm 50 miles from Canada. Oh my God, it's horrible. Um, so, but for those of you that love it, I'm sorry, but uh, it, it's no secret that <laughs> I, that I, it's not, not my me. place. Not, not for me either. I'm a sun worshiper, but here's the thing. I, I guess circling back to what you asked earlier is I kept trying, I had been with him for 10 years. We had been married 10 years, but nonstop from day one to through moving 10 full years with this guy. And I kept trying to get that love back, that passionate love that is like, you, you know, described in firecrackers or seen in the movies. And because you've had that before, you just think you need to try harder or do better to get that because it's got to still be in there. Mm -hmm. You start thinking it's you. Why doesn't he feel this way about me anymore? Why am I not good enough anymore? Right. Nope. Oh, and he told me it was me. I mean, he told me 50,000 things I was doing wrong and 50,000 things I corrected. Oh. 
but <laughs> oh my <laughs> but gosh, I, girl. Or I like they're always enough. crazy, right? I, I oh. was a narcissistic man at one point in my life. And it's like everything, like, you know, it's what's going on, but you're always pinned to be crazy. Was that anything you dealt with? I was always emotional and he didn't want to, or he didn't like my tone. Like all of a sudden he doesn't like my tone. I'm like, what? Um, I've toned down in the 10 years that you've been. <laughs> this is saying it nicely. <laughs> I don't like your tone. So I can't listen to what you're saying right now. Or, and he, he would always, um, it was just a completely different guy. It was, and, and I didn't understand narcissism until I was out of the marriage. I didn't understand what the hell. I mean, I was forgiving. There was another 10 years. So there were 10 years we were together and then 10 years till we were like officially divorced. So I went through 10 years of hell trying to make things right, trying to fix things. We had our third child. I mean, just there was nothing that I could do because what he really wanted was an argument. Mm. Yep. And I didn't understand that, that that's the energy, that's the game. Now, Jill, and, something you had mentioned when we were chatting before is that you started to notice even having the kids, like you would kind of start to make excuses, right? For mm -hmm. either his behaviors or reactions to things or, you know, um, uh, moods and things like that. That's so true. It's like, um, I started feeling like, Edith Bunker. Did you guys ever see All in the Family? Like Archie and Edith Bunker. I might be talking like. Oh my way god! Out of my no, I know what you're talking about, but I, I <laughs> never. I, I know that's like. Um, so like the very old school, like grumpy dad that sits there, and the wife that like runs around and like dusts around him and serves him, and is like. So that was me. It's like I do all these fun things around dinner time. He'd be vacant with his eyes would just be totally vacant, and I'd be like okay, but daddy loves you. Or I'll never forget one time he said goodbye to all three kids, gave them all a kiss on the head. And my middle child said, what about mommy? And he said, mommy doesn't deserve a kiss today and left. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. So the stronger Jill that we are talking to now would be like, okay, fuck you and the horse that you rode in on. <laughs> Sorry. No, amen. <laughs> but I was not the stronger Jill. And instead, when we closed the door, my middle one kept talking about it. And I said, oh, daddy's just moody. You know, daddy, he just gets grumpy. It's okay. Daddy's fine. And here I am lifting him up in front of the children so that I can maintain some sense of normalcy for them. Yeah. Gosh, that's so rough. Well, and, and making excuses and you can only do that for so long, you so know, true. you, because kids aren't stupid and they will start to see things with their own eyes and understand like something's off or something's not right. Or I, I don't know if you can really only protect someone for so long. I that's true. That's true. And we were arguing a lot and I kept thinking if I could get him to see me and to understand what I was talking about and find the guy that I had fallen in love with, it would all be better. And I seriously thought that maybe he just wasn't good with the in sickness and in health part of the vows, except for, you know, a cough and a cold. Um, what ended up happening was the more I tried to talk to him about me feeling unwell um, or needing his help around the house, the more he started saying that, I was just basically making it up and I was just kept fighting for 
this normalcy. At the same time, I was trying to hide all this battling from my kids. It was unsuccessful because you're right. They do know. Mm-hmm. And I became decided that I would just be everything. I would be the nurturer. I'd be at all their games. I'd do all the things he wasn't doing, all the emotional availability. And again, I'm the, you know, high functioning gagger from earlier. <laughs> and I am just used to putting my needs last. And so I'm the mommy that's eating over the kitchen sink if I ate at all. I never, ever had a moment of privacy, even in the bathroom. And I know that this is so true for so many of us. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I love that my kids, I, I love that they knew that they could always count on me. But seriously, looking back, they could have counted on me like I could have pooped without them on my lap, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I hear you on that one for sure. All so, asks for is just to poop in peace one time. <laughs> <laughs> like really, no side note, is that not the truest thing ever? Like when you speak of thing, <laughs> I swear to you, sometimes I'm so annoyed with the fact that like I have to just do everything for everybody that it's like, what's the use? I'll just see some crackers later when everyone's well so this is the thing right like yeah this is this is what i learned so i became burned out exhausted i was already sick short-tempered and sad so here i am like yeah you start raging like why the hell you know am i doing everything for everybody well nobody asked you to eat crackers over the sink but you're like, you're compelled to be like, do you want seconds? Do you want thirds? Let me get up. Let me go. Do you need more salt? Or do you need yes. this? Do you need that? You know? And so it got to the point where it wasn't just that. It was like, like I had a house phone back in the day when my, <laughs> in the 2000s. And, you know, like I'd get these calls. Listeners out there, that is a phone that is connected to your <laughs> Oh, the cord. rings. Oh, the cord. It's not yeah. on silent. It rings into your house and then goes to an answering machine where the announcement comes through that you are needed for a bake sale. I'm needed for the bake sale. So I have to like hop up from dinner to take that call. I mean, this is how ridiculous my life was. And it was like palm sweatingly stressful for me not to take the call, which I guess is anxiety. Um, and so my kids were watching and learning from me trying to make everything perfect all the time. And I will definitely give you a foreshadowing. Uh, the shit definitely hit the fan at some point for me because I couldn't make everything perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, my kids were watching and learning from my behavior. And I really started wondering how could I teach them self-love when my model was that I'm not important. And even if I could accept this for myself in order to maintain an intact family, did I want my daughters to grow up and eat crumbs over the sink? Or did I want my son to learn that emotional cruelty is okay if you're a cranky dad? And my answer was no freaking way. So that's really what led me to file for divorce, not even for my own good, but for the good of my kids, because I wouldn't have wanted that marriage for any of them. I think that's actually so important to say out loud because I think so many times people stay in bad relationships for the sake of the kids. And they just say like, well, my, my kids are young. Like I just need to stay in this. So they have their parents together and 
in reality, a lot of times, like it, it isn't healthy enough to stay in that marriage. Like kids aren't stupid. They do pick up on things. They do see things. Um, and then you're sticking around for nothing because they're going to be not damaged, but they're, they're, they're learning those things already. Like they're seeing those things already. So I think it is important. Sometimes the best option is to get out for the kid's sake, you know, for everyone's sake. I think so too. We were definitely arguing and, you know, there was a lot, we were not demonstrating what love should look like. Let's put it that way. Um, The only thing that we were doing is demonstrating how love looks in the movies, Mm. which is not good. (laughs) Not real. Yeah. Not real. So then Jill, for those out there kind of in a situation like that, maybe dealing with someone who's very narcissistic and, uh, you know, a toxic relationship, what, what would be some of your advice or support that you can give anything that you have found that helped you kind of through that, you know, you can give to the women or or men out there that are in that right now. So I had two things that helped me. Um, the first, well, I guess three, one is I got, um, medication for, um, anxiety and depression, but more for anxiety just to chill me out a little bit. Um, and there's absolutely no shame in doing that. And I'm glad that that's much more of an open world these days. Um, but I got a workbook, which I will, um, definitely send to you. It's called the anxiety and phobia workbook. And it is hands on for all different kinds of anxiety. And it helps you reshape your thinking from, I can't do this because I'm such a failure or a loser to, I can't do this yet. And that self-talk, that negative self-talk where you're just constantly beating yourself up, that makes all the difference in the world. And it's, it's practice with a workbook. I mean, the book is, is big. Um, but you just go through the, the certain, you'll recognize yourself in several different areas. And um, it's extremely hands-on. So that was really helpful. And then, Amazon, I'll just start ordering it right now for myself. I know, for real. <laughs> I love that saying of not, I can't do that, but I can't do that yet. I think that is like, that's awesome. What a good saying. Like, I need to remind myself of that daily. I need to write that down and be like, it's okay that you can't do it yet. You just got to keep trying. Like, you can't do it yet. I love it. Yes. It's everything, isn't it? It's like you're in, I, I majored in psychology, but not this part of it <laughs> um, in college. And I'm telling you that yet is everything. It's everything. Like, sky's the limit with yet. Yeah. And without it, it's like a firm statement. So, you know, there's no worse enemy than yourself when it comes to anxiety. And so that was the first step because I needed to even, I I needed to become a whole person inside again. And then um, there's a resource and her name is Melanie Tonya Evans. Um, And she goes by MelanieTonyaEvans.com. And she is all about um, narcissistic abuse recovery but she's all about thriving, not just surviving. And she tells her own stories. She's this wonderful woman from Australia. Much of her stuff is free. There's some stuff that, I mean, you can go through months of her stuff that's free. Um, and basically, I learned that there's just a blueprint for this. I didn't realize that they're all pretty much the same, that there's like names for what was happening to me and that, um, 
how narcissists get energy. And a lot of people throw around the word, you're such a narcissist, you talk about yourself all the time. That's not what a narcissist is. A narcissist is a cluster B personality disorder that something happened to them in their life where they need to get energy from others. And it's a whole other topic. But people um, like me that are empaths and really energetic get sucked in unknowingly because I didn't know that that thing freaking existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't understand that. You know what it's like? It's like the, um, the show You. Why oh my gosh, you? I love that show. <laughs> I can't watch it. Okay, I know, I totally understand why you would be able to watch it, but I, I love it. But yes, you're totally right. That's exactly have, like, right. And even like after you know how awful he is, there's still people like, but he's hot, but I would go for him. Yeah, like, but, but you you're know. still, yeah, people are still rooting for him, even though he's a crazy psychopath who's going to murder you. You'll see this. So there's not the, the psycho piece, but there is, I mean, it's a lot of emotional damage and, and all these different things. So she takes you through all these steps and it, the second that you start identifying and are not alone, because you sound crazy. So like, you, I sounded crazy telling my stories to people because I would be the hysterical one. And it was one crazy story after another until mm-hmm. I finally blocked him um, almost all the way. Um, and she talks about parallel parenting instead of co-parenting, which is a whole different field when you've got to work with someone you can't work with. Oh, goodness. We're going to definitely have you we'll back. We'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. But those oh, are my whole quick episode resources. on that right there. <laughs> <laughs> my quick resources. We're going to have Jill back on for seven more in-depth topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, my goal, honestly, you know, at this point, and with everything that I've, I've been through, if I am through it, I try to put it out there so that other people don't have to walk through the hell that I had to. Yeah, pass um, on that knowledge. That's- if I'm still in the middle, it's a little trickier. But even so, I found online that there's a lot of women and men that are rooting for you. Um, so, Jill, let's circle back real quick before we wrap this up. So you did reach your limits for your children and decided to get out of there. And I went and I would love to have you back on kind of talking more in depth, maybe a little bit about what you went through trying to get through a divorce with someone who definitely had the ego hurting from your definitely. Um, kind of the hell you went through there. If you're open to talking about that, I, you know, we can, we can cover some of that and what it's like, like you said, to be in that toxic relationship a little more in depth, going through a difficult divorce where you've got to fight things out in court and feel small and helpless in some of those scenarios. Um, mm-hmm. love to have you back on and cover some of that. We would love to have you back on and hit anxiety a little more in depth too. something. There's so many different levels of it. Uh, maybe we can even have some listeners write in kind of that'd be great struggle with, and we can kind of go through that. Um, I, I do want to touch on one more thing in a blog post that you did when you were in high school, you made a quote back in high school. And what was this in a yearbook or what was it in? I can't. So it was, it was the yearbook quote where everyone um, puts some sort of hopefully meaningful quote together for themselves. And mine was life is not a having and a getting, but a being and a becoming. And I, I chose that back when I was 17 because I didn't want life to just be about tangibles. 
but I didn't really, really know what it meant until I had to walk away with, with nothing, like mm-hmm. literally nothing. But, you know, my kids, but I mean, total financial ruin, um, the works, and it just be like, you know what? It's just stuff. I can get up every day and look at myself in the mirror and know I tried as hard as I could, even with, even with things that like still go down now. Like I said, I'm still raising kids. But, um, and I screw up all the time and they, they never seem to forget it. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the bottom line is, can I look at myself in the mirror and say, I did everything. I mean, even to the point of my own exhaustion and health suffering. Yeah. Well, I, I just loved that quote. I think because it's interesting to me to think about, first of all, I don't even think I could write something that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for <laughs> back in high school. I don't think I, I don't, I didn't make it up. Somebody else, <laughs> somebody else wrote it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I didn't make it up. <laughs> oh, I thought that came from you. I was like, wow. No, 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 no. It's, um, I think it's Walt Whitman. I don't know. I don't even think I cited him. I just wrote it down. <laughs> What I love about that is that transition of life because I feel like that definitely would have meant something so different to me at, you know, 18 years old than being through everything I've gone through in my adult life. And now looking at that, I just, I really like that quote. So I wanted to touch on that and kind of throw that quote out there, you know, to the public. That's, that's just beautiful. And it really is. I feel like the older we all get, gosh, dang it. You really just do realize it's about... (laughs) It's about being and becoming for sure. It sure is. That. Um, any final thoughts, you guys? Like I said, we're definitely going to have Jill back on. Uh, oh, let's go through. Uh, so your book, where can they find your sweet book, What Mess for Children? So um, I actually, I can send you a link. It's on Amazon, but there's other books named What Mess. So I can send you a link would be the easiest way, but oh, it's. Yeah, um, send us a link. We'll put that, we'll attach it to this episode. Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay. And then also we want to attach the website you spoke about and the, also the workbook for anxiety. We'll, we'll attach all of that to the episode and to our social media. Yep. Um, again, you can find Jill lessons from the mini on Instagram. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This has been cathartic, honestly. Oh, Jill, we thank you for being on. First of all, you're we're like fangirling over you and your Instagram. <laughs> are you for real? Doesn't know who you are. Like, we're honored to have you on. Well, thank I'm you. sure every single person listening to this is going to be looking forward to all the other episodes we're going to have because I <laughs> this could have been literally like a five hour podcast. Like, we I feel like we have so much to talk about. Like, I want to talk about chronic illness. I want to talk about like being married to or having a relationship with a narcissist. Like there's so many topics that I'm like, okay, she's coming back. We're going to talk about all this. Like <laughs> there's so much good stuff here. So I, I am now really excited to have you back. It's going to be Jill's shit with Brit and Wit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're covering all the topics guys. <laughs> all right, you guys until next time, let's keep it real.